It is a blessing to have a choir. Sometimes uh, churches have moved away from having a choir, uh, but often they can be an incredible blessing, so I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I would like to actually, before I get into the message, just wanted to uh, respond. I don't know if uh, most of you probably already heard, but based on the vote that was cast last Sunday, I am still your pastor, and uh, hopefully I will be for a long time to come. So uh, it was a very positive vote, and I'm very grateful. I heard just saw someone say shucks. Uh, so uh, it is a blessing to know that uh, uh, it is. It's a blessing to know that I'm a part of a team of people, and that we are uh, all working toward the same thing. And very grateful for that. Uh, This morning, I want to begin just by reading a short passage of Scripture, and then we'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll read a little bit more later on. Uh, But we're going to begin in the Gospel of John this morning in chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. And again, it's a very short passage. Uh, That being said, uh, it's somewhat of a continuation of something else. Uh, Actually, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, it begins really with the same phrase, in the beginning. And we're going to talk a little bit about Genesis chapter 1 a little bit later as well. Uh, But this morning we'll begin in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God... And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now, I remember as a child when the Star Wars movie series first came out. Now, it actually started with what was known as episode four uh, at the time. It was arguably the best movie of its time and perhaps even beyond that. It was a story about good versus evil. It was a story about a young Jedi who was just growing up and learning the potential which he held. Everything seemed so clear and obvious, but then it happened. A significant twist in the plot. While in a battle with the evil Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker has just lost his hand and he is invited by Vader to join him in the dark side, but he refuses. But then Vader begins to talk about Luke's past, and then we hear the infamous line, I am your father. In that moment, the line between good and evil somehow becomes a little bit blurred. A hidden message in the movie is that good people can be pulled away or enticed by evil. Certainly a truth that we mirror within Christianity. You know, I've watched that movie many times throughout the years. And I still enjoy it, but it has never been the same now that I know about the plot twist. Perhaps it's because I already know how it's going to end. I know what's going to take place. Well, God did something very similar with the Old Testament storyline. He created and sovereignly directed a remarkable story that contained a veiled key bit of information. Every plot, every character and event of this story points God's people in some way to the coming incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. We discover in the the twist in the New Testament, which helps make sense the whole Old Testament story. 
I want to take a deeper look at it. First of all, let's talk for a little bit about what we see in the Old Testament story. The Old Testament is God's great mystery concealed. What happens is in the Old Testament, there is a great mystery. There is a great plot twist that is coming, but nobody knows exactly for sure what it is. In colleges and in churches today, we love to teach and preach and even debate this issue of creation. The class I teach at Southern Wesleyan University is called Basic Christian Beliefs. And this is, and this is the starting point of the class, basically creation itself. We often teach on what God created, we preach on how God created, and we debate on when God created. The question we must answer, though, is why God created. The reason God created the universe is far more important than how or when. When we understand why, we will understand the other questions regarding creation much better. When reading all of Genesis 1, one phrase that we will find repeated is, and God said. It's actually stated nine times within Genesis chapter 1. What that tells us is basically how God created. It gives us a little bit of a glimpse. God simply said it and then it took place. It's not as if he had to rub clay together. It's not like he had to blink. It's not like he twi twitched his nose or anything like that. God would simply speak and something would happen. God said, let there be light and there was light. God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be man. Let there be plants and animals. Everything he said, it, it happened as he said. There's a huge truth to this. You see, God didn't need anything else to make it happen. He simply spoke the word and it came into being. We find, it's interesting, we find a reference to God and we assume we're talking God the Father in the story of creation. Actually, in Genesis 1 verse 2, it tells us that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. So we have a reference to the Holy Spirit's presence in the act of creation. My question is, where is Jesus Christ in this act of creation? It would seem almost as if he is not present, but I would suggest to you today that he is present. And according to God, the Gospel of John chapter 1, he was very much a part of what was taking place. Where was the son? The answer to that question is found in our passage. This is what it says. Let me read it to you one more time. In the beginning was the word. What is the word? It is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. We need to understand that this word that is referenced is actually Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was very much a part of the act of creation. He is the Word made flesh. And according to this passage, God the Son is present in this picture of creation. But He is God's mystery that is concealed for a large part of the Old Testament. I say He is concealed for a large part of the Old Testament because there are times that we do see the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. According to John 1, 1 through 3, Jesus was very much a part of the creation of the world. His fingerprints are all over that creation. 
but he is the plot twist to the story of humanity. Now, I need to confess to you guys that there are times that I get caught up in looking at all of the peripheral stuff of the Old Testament. I get caught up in theological arguments. I become somewhat focused on the prophets or the messages that they deliver to a broken people. But what I have been reminded of recently is that every aspect of God's word, every aspect of the story has always been about Jesus Christ. Within the fall of Adam and Eve, we are introduced to the need for a Savior, which is how Jesus Christ will later come to the world. As the Israelites flee Egypt, Moses symbolizes the Deliverer who comes to Calvary thousands of years later. As Rahab was redeemed from a life of prostitution, we are introduced to a grace that looks beyond our past, just like Jesus with the woman at the well. And as Jonah went to Nineveh, it was the precursor of a redeeming gospel that was not solely intended for the Jews, but for all humanity. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, it is Jesus who meets them in the fire. Jesus was not some invention that comes about at the beginning of the New Testament, but rather the Son of God has been present all throughout the story of humanity. Jesus is all over the place in the Old Testament. At times we can get caught up in all of the other stuff and we're paying attention to other things that are happening. But when it comes down to it, the story of Jesus is the only thing that truly matters to us. In essence, the statement could be made that biblical history is his story. Even in the Old Testament, we just didn't know it. The second part of this sermon today is not just that the Old Testament is God's great mystery concealed, but the New Testament becomes God's great mystery revealed. In the New Testament, God reveals what has become a bit of a mystery in the Old Testament. It looks as if the Apostle John opens his Old Testament scroll and writes with great excitement to reveal this secret to the churches. After all, God didn't just reveal this secret to John. He showed it to him. He gave him a vision. John reflects the wording of Genesis 1 when he writes, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. It's almost as if he were there in that moment of creation. Why did God speak everything into existence? He did so because he wanted to create everything through his word. The word is Jesus. God made everything through him and even for him. God's great mystery concealed for thousands of years is now proclaimed publicly written down for all to know. God created the universe through and for Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus because God planned. God planned. He, he knew what was going to take place. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus because God planned that Jesus would receive the glory as all these things find their fulfillment in him. Do you recognize today how important Jesus is to the Old Testament story? Or even better, do you understand how important the Old Testament story is to the New Testament story of Jesus? The title of this sermon is 
this sermon series is Wanted, Dead or Alive. And we're going to be looking in the coming weeks, specifically you're, you're going to see um, a lot of references to what people want and what they need. There will be references to whether an individual is dead or alive, but I want to focus for just a moment specifically on what people want or what they need. What we need to understand is throughout the Old Testament, there is a world of people that are crying out for a mystery to be revealed. They're crying out for a Messiah, for Jesus to come. There were many things that were taking place in the Old Testament. There was a sacrificial system that was in place because of the fact that there were broken people that were there. And for some reason, it didn't seem as if it were enough. There was something that was missing, and that missing piece is Jesus. What what we look at today, I want you to realize... As many of the people in the Old Testament times did not realize. There are some people that are not looking for this Messiah. There are some people who are not interested in what this Messiah will bring. But all of us need the Messiah. All of us need Jesus to come. Why is it that some would choose not to pursue Christ? Maybe they just don't realize what he brings. Why is it that some people don't need him? Only he can bring true peace to the emotionally broken. I mentioned her already, but consider the woman at the well. She put on such a good front. She met Jesus at a well. She was there to draw water in the middle of the day. She talked and acted as if she was just like everybody else. But as she stood there at that well drawing water and Jesus began to speak with her, she was an expert at changing the subject at talking about small talk things. But the truth is, her life was a wreck. She had been married five times. The man she was living with now was not her husband. She was an outcast. She was at the well at the hottest time of the day, not because of the fact that she wanted something to drink at that moment, but because she didn't want to go when everybody else went because people simply didn't like her. Her life was a wreck. And it appeared that there was no way for her to change anything. That is, until the day she met Jesus. Not only did he touch a woman who was emotionally wrecked, only he can truly bring physical healing to those who are physically broken. Consider the fact that as Jesus ministered, word began to spread that this Jesus was different from any other's who had come before him. He had the power to heal the sick. As such, as Jesus traveled, he was consistently greeted by families and large groups of people who were bringing their sick to him. Often, before he ever got to preach, he would have hundreds, if not thousands of people that had gathered seeking a touch from him. At times, he simply spoke their healing into being. On other occasions, he touched them. Sometimes he would rub mud on their eyes. The method of his healings were insignificant. What mattered was that the people knew that he alone had the ability to heal the sick, just as he alone had the ability to heal those who were emotionally a wreck. He had the ability to heal those who were sick. Their lives were being cut short, and there appeared no way to change anything. That is, until they met Jesus. 
What's more is that not only could Jesus heal the mind, those who were emotionally broken, not only could Jesus heal the body, those who were physically sick, but only Jesus had the ability to bring spiritual healing to those who were dead in their sins. This is put on display in multiple ways, but this is where the attention turns toward the dead or alive because there is a difference in what Christ does when he is alive versus dead. In life, Jesus brings spiritual healing to a man who is brought to Jesus on a mat. We assume there were four friends. We're told that his friends brought him. We just assume there was one on each corner. And they bring this man to Jesus while Jesus is preaching. They lower him down in front of Jesus after cutting a hole in the roof. As they lower him down, their goal is to see Jesus bring healing to this man's life. He's been lame and he can't walk. He's of no value to society. But these people love him and they'll do whatever they can to bring restoration. So they bring him before Jesus. And as they do... You can see, almost picture the crowd splitting as he's being lowered down in front of Jesus. And everybody's watching and waiting to see what Jesus will do. It's interesting, there's no objection to what is taking place as these men lower their friend, as they dig a hole in the roof. There's no objection that's noted in Scripture. However, there had to be a sense of curiosity. What will Jesus do? He looks down at this man who is lying on his mat, And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Tell you the truth. Now, the friends might have been a little disappointed with his answer. That's not really why we brought him here. That's not why we cut a hole in the roof. By the way, what Jesus did was he addressed the most important need first. This man did need a physical healing. But what he really needed was a spiritual healing. But the people knew the moment Jesus spoke those words, Son, your sins are forgiven. He had just done something that would have been considered taboo within their society. Sacrilegious even. You see, for a man to claim that a person's sins were forgiven was to basically claim that he himself was God. Because only God had the ability to forgive sins. So now we hear the talking. The mumbling and the groaning and you have people whispering to each other, who does this man think that he is, that he can actually forgive a man's sins? Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he basically asked them, which is easier for me to say to this man, son, your sins are forgiven, or for me to tell this man to get up, walk, take your mat and go home? Well, you guys know the answer. He can say that his sins are forgiven and there's no way to verify it or to disprove it. You simply have to either believe it or don't believe it. But if he claims that this man is physically healed, there'll be evidence to it. I imagine nobody answered as Jesus asked that question because they all knew the answer. He said, but so that you believe. And then he looks down at the man. He says, get up, take your mat and go home. And this man who has been lame gets up and he walks away. But what I want you to catch is not just the physical healing that took place. Jesus alone was able to provide spiritual healing. What about the guy in the region called the Gerasenes? 
We really don't know his name. I like the name Jack the Demoniac. He's the the guy who is filled with a bunch of demons. And as Jesus gets out of the boat, he is immediately greeted by this man who basically lives among the caves. They've tried to chain him up, but they can't keep him chained up because he breaks the chains. He is an outcast to society, primarily because he has become a danger to them. And as he comes running to Jesus... He pleads for grace, which is kind of interesting because clearly there were other voices that were speaking for him. They didn't want Jesus to cast them into the pit, basically to send them to hell. Jesus asks, what is your name? We don't really hear the name of the individual, but rather we hear the name of the spirits that have possessed his body. And the voice comes back, my name is Legion, for we are many. At that moment, Jesus casts those demons into a herd of pigs that is basically uh, grazing just off to the side. They actually run off into the water, and I'm sure the owners of those pigs were not very grateful for that. But this man, who had been out of his mind crazy to the point that he could not be controlled, could not live among the people, was a cast out in society, sent to live away in the caves. When people come and they see what has taken place, they see this man sitting there in his right mind because God had delivered him from the spiritual oppression which he had held for so long. The reality is Jesus has the ability to not only bring emotional healing to those who are emotionally broken. He has the ability to bring physical healing to those who are physically broken. But he also has the ability to bring spiritual healing to those who are spiritually broken. But in death, in the death of Jesus Christ, Jesus brings the offer of spiritual healing To all of humanity. Not just a few. We give those uh, specific examples, specifically from the scriptures, individuals who are delivered from spiritual oppression. But the truth is, through Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, we are all now given the opportunity to be made alive in Him, to be brought back to spiritual health. You see, Jesus became the long awaited sacrifice for the sins of humanity. I said earlier that there were many who didn't want a Savior, and they didn't even know that they probably needed a Savior, much like the world that we live in today. There was a sacrificial system that had been in place for generations. The system seemed good enough. If you do something wrong, then you make some kind of sacrifice to make up for it. Why fix what doesn't seem broken? But what the people didn't realize was the system actually was broken. To clarify, it wasn't really the system that was broken. It was the people who participated in the system who were broken. They had become a people who were fixated on the ritual of sacrifice. But what God really longed for was a relationship with his people. Much like We get fixated on all the stories of scriptures, 
the prophets and the messages that they bring and the historical stuff and the theological arguments that go along with it. And then we miss out on the scriptures and what they're really about. The New Testament world had become a world that was fixated on the sacrifice and the law as opposed to what that sacrifice would provide for all of humanity. You see, the sinful man simply could not come into the presence of God. Our sin made us filthy before him. And because of that, no matter what we did, we could never, ever truly be good enough to be in his presence. But the sacrifice became an atonement, a covering for our sin. What's more is that through Jesus Christ, he does more than just cover up our sin. He washes it away. We were a people who were trapped in our sin with no way of changing our situation. We were hopeless. That is until we met Jesus. Much like those who were emotionally broken and needed to meet Jesus. Much like those who were physically broken and needed to meet Jesus. And just like today, We are spiritually broken until we meet Jesus. God's creation of the world through and for Jesus found its ultimate purpose in Jesus' sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. From 1 John 2, verse 2. Jesus loved the world his Father created for him to the extent that he was willing to step into that world for the sake of of rescuing us from our sin. Jesus lived like one of us. His human creatures, he chose to dwell in a human body. He lived a perfect sinful life, but understand that only Jesus would have been able to be our sacrifice. It's because he truly was a perfect sacrifice. I could try to be the sacrifice, but the truth is I'm not good enough. You look around the room today, you look at the individuals that you have great respect for, the people you admire and love. I love Miss Martha. She is such an incredible woman of God. But I got to tell you, she never would have been good enough to be my sacrifice. Only Jesus Christ was good enough because he was himself God. He chose to step into the world as as a human being but also still being God, and he became the sacrifice for our sins. Everything was created for him. Jesus was the appropriate sacrifice to die, to pay the price of our sin. He then rose from the dead so that the world might be saved through him. Now we await his return to reign over his new creation. Understand this. We have something much better that awaits us, but it's only because of what he has done. Listen to what awaits us. It's found in Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I will tell you that we have a great hope. 
We have a day that awaits us, but it is founded in the mere fact that Jesus alone has provided a way for us to be redeemed. Jesus Christ is the only suitable sacrifice, but because of what he did, whether you wanted it or you knew you needed it or not, is irrelevant. He became the sacrifice for your sins. And because of that today, the same things that we saw God do in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he offers to us. Perhaps there are some today who come and you are emotionally broken. You're a wreck. You have things going on in your life right now that they're overwhelming. And you're not really sure how you're going to handle it. Perhaps there are some today who are physically broken. Maybe you're fighting with some type of illness. Not just the flu, but maybe even something far more significant. God is able to bring healing to the emotional. He cares about the mind. He cares about the body, the physical. But even more than that, he cares about your soul. He looks at you much like he looked at that man who was on the mat. And he knows that those other needs are there. He knows that you've got all this junk that's going on in your lives. He says, but what really matters most is the spiritual. Son, your sins are forgiven. I believe today that God wants to provide healing. Whether it's emotional, physical, or spiritual healing, I believe that he does. But we must come before him to see that happen. This morning I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads, and I'm actually going to open up the altar this morning. Maybe today you have a need, emotional, physical, or spiritual. I want you to know today that God is able and he desires to be able to meet that need. Father, as we come before you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Challenge us to respond if you are leading. With every head bow and eye closed as Margie plays for just a few moments, maybe today you need to come forward. I'm going to invite you to come. I'm not going to wait for a long time. You know the things that are going on in your life, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. Maybe today you need to respond to God's grace and receive salvation. Maybe today you need to renew your walk with him. Maybe today there's a physical need that is beyond your capabilities to fix, doctor's capabilities to fix, medicine's capability to fix. Maybe today your marriage is falling apart. You're emotionally distraught over choices that are being made by people that you love. Your job is it's on thin ice. Whatever your needs may be, our God's able. Would anyone like to come this morning and pray?
Father, as we come before you today, Lord, our greatest desire is to see you, to experience you firsthand. Lord, we have been so blessed by you in so many different ways. Probably the greatest way is the fact that you are there for us during our times of brokenness. Whether the brokenness is physical, emotional, or spiritual, it doesn't matter. You are there to provide for us. Lord, I pray for the three individuals who are gathered at the altar this morning. Lord, I pray that whatever type of healing is necessary today, that you would intervene. Lord, I pray that there would be a physical touch upon those who are physically broken. Lord, I pray that you would work in such a mighty way that nobody could take credit for it except to say that you are the one who is on the throne and you are the one who is doing this work. For those who right now are dealing with emotional baggage that's brought on by maybe the choices that others are making, maybe things that are going on that it's just a part of our fallen world, maybe because of choices that we've made somewhere along the way. Lord, I pray today that you would provide emotional healing, that you would be our strength, that we would find our peace that passes all understanding from you and you alone. Lord, I pray for family members that perhaps right now they are broken and it leads to our brokenness as well. But most of all today, I pray for the spiritual healing of each one who is here not just the folks who are at the altar but each one of us today that we would truly experience your spiritual healing Lord I pray that you would cause within each of us to have a hunger for more of you Lord we're grateful today to know that there was a sacrifice that was made that your son Jesus Christ allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we might be redeemed. We rejoice over that. But we also recognize today that you didn't intend for us to just get a little bit of you. You want to fill us today with your spirit and you want us to be able to walk as those who truly are redeemed. Maybe there's an individual here who doesn't know you. Lord, you tell us in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, and you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right now, Lord, we ask that you would forgive any sin that might be present. Lord, as we confess to you our need, we confess our inadequacy, we ask you to move in a mighty way and forgive us. There are likely others who they have received your grace but they have not been faithful to the grace that's been given. Lord, I pray today that you would restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Bring spiritual healing to us now that we might truly reflect your character, your spirit's presence in us. Lord, we ask all these things in your name and ask that you would be glorified as we walk as those who have been redeemed and yes, even healed by your touch. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will tell you that I believe today that my God is still a healing God. And he heals the emotional, he heals the physical, and he heals the spiritual. It's not as if that's something that died out on the cross. Many people thought that the message of Christ would be over when Christ was crucified. But it was not. Instead, it was simply moving to the next stage. 
And this is where that wanted dead or alive comes from. Because alive, Jesus Christ was able to do great things, but it didn't stop when he died. But rather, he lives today now with that same power and authority in us. I celebrate today the healing power of Jesus Christ, and I hope you do as well. We're going to close with an act of uh, communion this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we do so, I've asked several of the pastors and other individuals to come, and they're going to help us serve communion this morning. Uh, What I'm going to tell you as we participate in communion, we use bread and grape juice uh, to represent two incredibly important things. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ, which he allowed to be broken for us. The grape juice represents the blood of Jesus Christ that is shed for you and for me. We're told that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So today, as we participate in communion, what we are actually doing is in one aspect saying thank you, taking the time to remember the sacrifice of Christ. But as we do so, it also ought to be a time for us to simply reflect on what that sacrifice means. It's nice that it happened 2,000 years ago and it's a gift for everybody, but how does his sacrifice impact you as a child of God today? If you are genuinely redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ, the body that is broken and the blood that is shed ought to mean something great for you because first of all, you knew You were destined for hell and he has redeemed you and given you the promise of eternal life. We are what we read about earlier in Revelation chapter 21, anticipating that day that we are brought into his presence for all eternity. But even more than that, the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus also enables us not just to walk in victory for all eternity, but in this life. We have been given the privilege of living as new creations in him. Celebrate that. Allow this to be a time to simply reflect on what Christ's sacrifice means to you. Are you really different because of what Christ did? Or are you the same person you were back then? If we have not been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ we probably ought to ask ourselves very honestly and openly, am I truly a child of God? The Apostle Paul asked the question, shall I continue in sin so that grace might abound even more? And then he said, no way. We ought not to continue to live like those who are sinners, but like those who have been redeemed by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. As we celebrate these elements today, Jesus did this with his disciples, but it was more than a ritual and it ought to be more than one for us. It's a chance for us to intimately experience the sacrifice of Jesus, to be reminded of what he did and to be challenged. Ordinary elements, I get it. We use bread and grape juice. Some people use bread and wine. Some people use those wafers we were talking about, like they're styrofoam and they melt when you put them in your mouth. We just use bread and grape juice. But what they represent is what matters. It's the body of Jesus and the blood that he shed. 
Anyone who is a child of God is welcome to join us. I'm going to ask the ministers and those who are helping to come and meet me at the table. I will ask that as you come, everyone would receive the elements and then uh, if you would take it back to your pews and once everyone has them, we'll all receive them together at the same time. Let me pray for these. Uh, I know they're ordinary, ordinary elements, but let me pray for this act of communion and then we'll participate. Father, we know these are ordinary elements, but man, they recognize something. They represent something far more valuable to us. Lord, I pray today that as we participate in this ritual, that it would be more than a ritual. Allow us today to truly reflect on your sacrifice, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. Allow it to transform who we are. Lord, I pray that not only would we have the hope and the promise of eternal life, but through this time, we would also recognize that you desire to change us here and now. Transform our hearts. Maybe even through this ritual, draw us near to you. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There'll be two stations where individuals uh, can come. And I would ask uh, if you want to um, exit out of the right side of your pew. And then if everyone would actually go back on the left side, it'll make it easier for everybody to just kind of be going the same direction. Uh, come as you feel led to come and receive the elements of communion. met with his disciples on the night that he was arrested. He broke bread with them and he drank wine. Two common ordinary elements that were used at every meal. And as he broke bread with them, he gave them a new meaning. He simply said, this bread represents my body that's broken for you. He said, I want you to eat this, but every time, not just when you have a church service, not just when the pastor stands in front of you, every time you eat this, he said, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And they partook of the bread. Then he took the wine. Again, an ordinary element that was used in almost every meal. And he said, this represents my blood that was shed for you. He said, every time you drink this, not just when the ritual of communion takes place, every time you drink this, I want you to remember my blood that was shed for you that brings you the forgiveness of sins. And they partook of their wine. Father, today we come before you.
grateful for your sacrifice, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. Today, we simply say thank you. I ask that you would help us to live in honor of you. Help us to be those who don't turn on church basically because it's Sunday morning, but help us to be those who are filled with your spirit, who walk as new creations in you. Lord, may you have your way in us. We give you praise for what you're going to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, What I would ask you to do is leave the cups in your pews. We'll come back and we'll clean them out afterwards, so leave them there. Thank you so much for being a part of our service this morning, and go in peace. I apologize for letting you out about 10 minutes late today, so thank you for being with us.